Welcome to the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. So, if you follow college basketball at all, I am sure you're familiar with the changes that are taking place. Uh, changes prompted by a lot of things. We'll talk about all of that. But one of those changes, or, or a series of those changes, have been focusing on the summertime and summertime showcase tournaments and summertime basketball camps. Um, things that have, have that became a focus of concern over the years. And, and to talk about that, we're delighted to have Dan Gabbett back with us here. Dan, the NCAA Senior Vice President of Basketball. He brings a wealth of experience and knowledge to all this. Dan, it's always good to see you. Great to be with you, Jack. So let, to, to, to create a backdrop for this, a sense of context for all of this, um, let's, let's go back to uh, back when you were, uh, you know, an athlete, when you were a coach, all right? I go back to the days when I was, I was a college football player, played high school basketball. And in, in that era, for me in the 60s and into the 70s, if you were a high school basketball player, your summer consisted of, you know, just pickup games at night. Maybe a few of your, your high school teammates would get be together and play in a league. Uh, at, at that point in time, in some of the states, your entire team was not allowed to play together, but some of you could. If you were really good, you might end up at the five-star, the, 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 the uh, five-star basketball camp, and, which is which was, you know, sort of hallowed ground, if you would, for high school basketball players. And then it changed. Things evolved. Talk a little bit, before we get to what's being done now, talk mm-hmm. about the evolution from that, what I just described, and, even, and, and talk a little bit more about what the five-star camps are, sure. and then the, like the ABCD camps, the Nike yeah. camps. Talk about the evolution and, and what it became. Sure. Well, it's, it's great history to bring into this discussion to kind of uh, set the floor because I think that is kind of when things really did start to change you know, so much in youth basketball in our country and has changed so dramatically over the last 30-plus you know, years uh, 40 that, that proceed, succeeded that. You, know, you mentioned the five-star camps, ABCD. Those, those were the elite camps back in that time period when Patrick Ewing and Chris Mullen played and Pearl Washington and all those guys. They, that was how they uh, experienced the game, how they developed, how they were recruited and evaluated. Many coaches came through all, all that, you know, who began on you know, college and NBA and, and Hall of Fame coaches. And I think, you know, it was probably – that's also the time when Nike started to invest more heavily in college basketball, basketball in general, um, as well as their comp- competitors. And they saw this as an opportunity this summer to to market their products and to provide more opportunity and experience for these players, not just individuals, but teams, programs, AAU programs, grassroots, you know, club teams that um, could take all of these players who were the best player on their high school team and, and bring them together locally or regionally and create kind of super summer club teams and then take them places and compete against other teams of similar talent. And ultimately what grew out of that are, are now the the grassroots leagues like the Nike EYBL League and the Under Armour Association, Adidas Gauntlet, um, that they compete in the spring as AAU teams, you know, and, and then they have their finals in, in early July in Augusta and Georgia and places like that that, um, that are where the most elite grassroots programs, you know, compete as kind of 
all-star teams, right? Mm-hmm. Re- local or regional all-star teams. And they've been very well financed and funded through, you know, local teams or through shoe company sponsorship and, and others. And that's, you know, where we've come from and where we got to. And a lot of that is plenty good. I mean, the, some, you know, those companies run good events. It provides incredible opportunity for those prospects. But there's, there's a, another element that I think the, the NCA membership has been a little concerned about that's not all good about that. And so the effort around the Commission on College Basketball changed to the summer recruiting calendar supported by the National Association of Basketball Coaches was to try to influence that a little bit, not replace it. We don't have the funding, the willpower, the resources to be able to do that. But how do we maybe limit some of the, you know, some of the influence that's not so healthy uh, and, and provide education and opportunity for prospects and their parents to learn more about what college basketball is all about, what professional basketball in life is, is about, and, and provide a little bit more education for this path that they're on as elite basketball players. Let me go back to the, the earlier times. And again, I, I remember a time when, uh, as a college coach, the way you learned about a, a player was either you or one, if you were the head coach, one of your assistants showed up at a high school game. You know, and and I remember being in high school, and there would be a buzz in the stands of you know so and so from something school was here to see this guy play type of thing, and and the recruiting was done sort of junior year into senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. How dramatically did that all change, and how did it tie into the development of as you said these these um, these showcase camps? And the travel teams, and 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 all that that all that all of those changes that came about. Yeah, well, it changed dramatically with you know with more, uh, you know, recruiting services and and, uh, and and companies realizing that there's there's a market here, there, there's a business here, an opportunity financially to you know, and it's not just in basketball. Obviously, it's in soccer and other sports. Right, mm-hmm. youth sports has become such a massive business in our country. But it's very much highlighted and acute in basketball because players can be identified at a younger age. And now with technology and being able to, you know, to see kids on video and, you know, social media, um, it doesn't take much to develop a, you know, a profile at a, at, a, at a younger age. And I think in college basketball, we're now in the last couple of decades, we have so many programs that recruit nationally. Not just in those days you're talking about, it was really more local and regional recruiting. Talk about right? your recruiting when, when you're coaching at Providence, mm-hmm. all right? What, what, was, what was your recruiting envelope, your area? Uh, down to Washington, D.C. is probably about as How far as we ever went. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was all the northeastern seaboard from Washington, D.C. to Philadelphia to New York City and New England. And how would you get to see prospective players so you could evaluate them? Well, train, you know, we drive, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. word of mouth. I mean, you know, Tom Konchalski, who still, you know, runs an incredible uh-huh. recruiting service, uh, uh, you know, I- I- among others, you know, he, he would, you know, help us, you know, identify prospects at a young age. And then we, you know, battled with other, at the time, Big East teams that and uh-huh. Atlantic 10 teams, there were uh, ACCs that might have come up and tried to steal out of the region, you know, but 
it was much more regional, I would say, right. than, than it is now. And now not to say that's not still the breadbasket of most programs. Right. but So most writers will have their footprint, but you know they can wander out of it occasionally, certainly. Absolutely. N- nowadays, you'll see lists of kids 12 years old, 13 years old, rankings mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Did you have that? Is, was that of it's anything that you ever utilized not, back when not, you were coaching? Not the level of the way it is now. No. Oh. You know, the other thing that changed, too, is I remember um, – Remember Khalid Al-Amin, who played at mm-hmm. UConn, who UConn. won a remember national the guard? championship, yeah. a great guard from, I believe he's from the state of Minnesota. Yes. He was one of the first players I remember that was recruited to play on a really elite uh, AAU program somewhere in the Northeast. I want to say it's out in New York. I can't remember exactly, but, you know, they started to be better funded, these programs, and then they would go and recruit a kid totally out of the region that would fill a you know, spot on their team and give them profile that they weren't maybe getting in the state of Minnesota or wherever they were living. And, you know, so they kind of started to put together these super teams, right, of elite high school players to play in the summer on these circuits. And and it was a way for college coaches at these events to to recruit more f- efficiently as well because, you know, at, at ABCD or certainly now with, you know, Peach Jam and, and other events, there are so many good players, so many good programs that, that coaches can go over a four-day period and, and see – dozens of prospects whereas if you know during the high school year you're recruiting maybe the best player off of one team you have to go to several different areas in high schools to see that best player and then some of these programs all the best players are on one team and so you know it's just in terms of convenience there's there's, there's a value to it's efficient and it's convenient so let's talk about now leading to what took place this past summer so last year, the the uh, the commission, just about a year ago, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. uh, commission headed by former Secretary Condoleezza Rice, mm-hmm. certainly a blue ribble, ribbon panel mm-hmm. um, of of people in the in the sports world, uh, came out with a whole series of recommendations, and some of them included this notion of of summer. Mm-hmm. What was it that concerned them about what summer had become? Uh, let's let's start with that, and then we'll talk about suggestions. So, what were the concerns that they had in terms of of this evolution that you and I have talked about, and, and what the summer basketball world had become? Well, I I think you know some of their concerns maybe were more you know could be more perception than reality, some mix therein. But but the concern was that that the July period uh, of you know non scholastic certified events we call them. You know these uh, AU and shoe company events um, had become too influential, too important in the whole recruiting process. Um, and while some of them were great and well run and, and everything else, that you know some some of the some of the allegations in the FBI investigation actually took place in July right. in Las Vegas, right, in hotel rooms. Right. And so there's been a concern, I think, for some time that it's kind of a little wild wild west and probably not all fair and accurate at, at times, but not inaccurate either. And that um, it was not scholastic-based at all. You know, there's no high school involvement at, at that point. It's all grassroots, you know, programs that that don't have that connection to high schools and to, you know, to, to organizations that otherwise you've got a lot of confidence in. Some do. Mm-hmm. Certainly the shoe companies, for sure, well-run, and, and those events are great, but not all. And so I think, you know, that was the concern. And there was probably an overreaction at first, I don't mean this critically at all because the commission was trying to figure this all out. Still saying, okay, we're not going to let Division I coaches go out anywhere in July, none of these events. And that was the, that was the original proposal. And then we came back, the membership and coaches came back and asked for one weekend back 
and the commission said, you know what, you're right, we, you, that's okay. So that first weekend in July, those those super events I talked about, you know, Peach Jam and um, the Under Armour Association and DS Gauntlet, those finals still play, take place the first weekend in July, this year, July 11th through the 14th. But the other two weekends went away. To try to limit the influence of, you know, of those events in this whole process. And in their place came June Scholastic events, which are now sponsored and have to be run by high school state associ- uh, athletic associations, by high school basketball coaches associations, and have to be run on scholastic campuses, high schools, NCAA Division II and III um, academic institutions. So there's more of a connection with the high school experience and the high school team than just the grassroots club team. That still exists, and it's still great, but, but I think there's a little more balance now. A little there, more balance. There, there have been laments I've heard from high school basketball coaches that say, basically, we have been removed from the equation. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be the colleges would reach out to us saying, mm-hmm. think you got a guy who can play. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Help us. It, is, was that an overstatement, do you think, or was there some validity to no, that? No, I don't think it's an overstatement at all. I think, I, I think somewhat maybe unwittingly the high school coaches community nationally and college coaches nationally kind of let that all happen, you know, years and decades ago. Maybe high school coaches didn't want to be as, you know, invested and have some time off in the summer. They're teachers as well, and that's, you know, under football, you know, soccer practice and all those other things. Well, what happened is when, once they gave up that opportunity, someone else came in and took it and, and never let it go and, and grew it to a point where it became all-encompassing, that AU programs, you know, the best ones really have influence over kids the entire year in some cases, certainly in, you know, in the spring and summer. And so that influence became, you know, really imbalanced in that way. Again, not bad because everyone's jumps to the conclusion that all this is bad. Right. It's not all bad. But having a little more balance, you know, is probably more appropriate. And that's what I think we're trying to achieve with the June Scholastic events and, and with the NCAA College Basketball Academy as well. So let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. So it is, as a consequence of, of these recommendations that came out of the commission, one of the things that was uh, that was cr- the things that were created essentially were these basketball academies. Mm-hmm. Talk about them. How what the structure is and what what the purpose. Mm-hmm is for these particular academies, as, as opposed to the other events that, that take place in the summer? Sure. So it's, it's a great question. It's a really important answer. There's two reasons, really, for, for the NCAA College Basketball Academy. One is that it's an evaluation opportunity for Division One coaching staffs and for the high school process. So it's designed right? to, to have, here's a showcase, you can come, yep. you can see these yep. players. That's, that's one portion of it. Right. But kind of got lost this year that that was like the only reason for this. And quite to the contrary, the commission was very clear and one of the recommendations that the NCA should collaborate with USA Basketball, with the NBA, with the NBA Players Association, with the National Federation of State High School Associations, and anyone else in the game to, to, to do things to help in this youth development area. And so there's a whole educational side to the NCA College Basketball Academies. The NCA is paying for the prospect, but also paying for one parent or guardian to attend as well. And there's life skills program that took place run by the NCA, but also run by the NBA and the Players Association, uh, sessions on social media, sessions on uh, college eligibility, um, professional opportunities as they may exist for some prospects 
to give the prospects and their families direct information from all of us. So it's not coming, people whispering right. to them in the summer right. times. It's, and it's, in the, you know, there have been more sinister situations where people are whispering and, and money changing hands or influence exerted. So this is, instead of the whisperers, these are people who are in the know, who are saying, let us help you to, to inform you about this? Absolutely. And, you know, the NCA has initial eligibility standards and, you know, mm-hmm. the whole recruiting process, which is what we, you know, we talked about. But the NBA did a terrific job of explaining how many jobs there are actually in the NBA. 450 players. That's it. 30 G League teams. What a two-way contract is. What are the odds of making it? As you know, as, as a professional, because the reality is, we know you know all of us as athletes thought we were going to be pros, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and most of us were not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, even if you had a good college career, as you said, the numbers are what the numbers are, and you, it's not as if you want to dash dreams, but a dose of reality can always be helpful. You couldn't have said it better, and, and actually. The NBA, Garth Glissman, uh, who works at the NBA, did one of the sessions. He, he, he works with Kiki Vandeway on the basketball operations side. And he did an incredible pre- presentation just saying exactly what you just said, not mm-hmm. trying to dash any dreams, but here's the reality. And, and the, the great thing about that, Jack, is it wasn't the NCA saying that. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a college coach saying that. This was the NBA where, you know, every player aspires to be someday. Every parent would like to see their son, you know, play in the NBA. But here's the, here are the facts. Here's the reality. And I know because I sat through the session, you know, it hit home with parents and prospects and how hard it is. And, and some of them will play there, but many won't. And, and, and they even talked about opportunities in the game and, you know, work opportunities and all those kind of things. So just putting some balance, again, into all the information that, that families have to use to try to make informed decisions about their future. So how many of these academies took place? Where were they located? There were four. They were done regionally. Kind of imagine it like the NCAA tournament, East, mm-hmm. South, Midwest, and West. They were held this year at the University of Connecticut, University of Illinois, University of Houston, and Grand Canyon University in Phoenix. So they were very purposely put on college campuses. Uh, coaches were NCAA Division II and three coaches, high school coaches, former NBA players who are aspiring to be coaches. Um, Division One referees refereed all the games. Um, there was life skill programming, like I, like I explained, and so. For each prospect, there was only three and a half days of, of programming, but it was a really great opportunity for them to learn a lot, to compete, and to have a good experience. And the feedback we got by the participants was very positive. Let me, let me ask you about that. Yeah. Let, let's talk about, because there are various levels and, and directions of feedback. So sure. let's stay with the ones who experienced it, the participants. Mm-hmm. What sort of reaction did you get from them? And, uh, very positive. And I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting here mm-hmm. in the NCAA headquarters with you. The, the, the players, the parents, uh, the coaches that worked at the commissioners, all very positive about the experience. Um, well run, well managed, uh, players, you know, competed, acted, you know, great. They stayed in dorms. Um, they, they had a full college experience, ate in the dining hall. Um, so for the participants that were there, it was a really positive experience. If there was a challenge and some negativity around reporting around this, and even some reaction from from coaches, is that the hope of having the most, the best, most elite players in each class there didn't materialize to the extent that some hoped and thought in the first year. But it, I mean, my my question to you is: It was the first year. I mean, exactly. it, it, in terms of your expectations as an administrator, mm-hmm. um, and and. It, was there some validity to them saying that not all the top players were there? 
Sure. And 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 how does that sort of impact your plans moving forward? There's a lot of validity to it. There's no question. And that we you know we tried to target the best players. We invited them. We you know there were competing factors. USA Basketball had a junior national team mini camp that went on at the same time. Not not by any grand design. Just uh, no opportunity to move the date with how this came together so quickly. That'll change in the future. You know, there were other opportunities with, with club teams that players had. And then there were some, you know, that we understand programs that were not encouraging players to attend for one reason or another. Um, and so we need to figure out how we engage in with prospects directly, with their grassroots and high school programs, to encourage them to experience this. Because it really, I think, is only for their benefit. I think we need to take a look at when we get you know, players to attend. You know, the target, based on recommendations from ABC, was mostly rising seniors and rising juniors, only a select number of rising sophomores. But I think, you know, in hindsight, maybe we should be trying to attract the most elite players as younger players. Mm. Because by the time they get to July of their going into their senior year, many of them have already either committed to a school or have narrowed their list so, down so much that they... They don't have the need, right. you know, or the They don't need a showcase. Yeah. They, they just need to make their selection, if yeah. you will. But the educational side of it and right. exposure and that, and that's valuable the for them has, has great value. So, we're, you know, we're going to take a look at everything. I think um, the thing I feel good about is that the experience was great. We started something that's established, and now we figure out how to take it to the next level and to get the, every every Division One player to participate in this at least once in his in his high school career. So, in looking at it, last question for you is is obviously there there was something of a vision coming out of the commission's mm-hmm. uh, report, but this had to be literally built from scratch. Mm-hmm. Given those understandings and 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 the restrictions that come from any time you're doing something brand new and trying to create a new model, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Walking away from it the, the, with this first summer, were you, were you, were you, relatively speaking, were you satisfied with how it played out and, and equally satisfied with its potential in the future? That's probably a better part of the question. Yeah, I'd say the latter for sure. I think the June Scholastic events went uh, considerably better than I imagined they would. We were concerned with how many events there would be and how, how good the competition would be because we wanted to be as broad as possible throughout the country. and. The feedback on that was very, very positive. Um, the, you know, the academies um, maybe didn't quite reach the level that I had hoped from a, you know, positivity standpoint. I don't mean again the participants, but just you know, in the in the grand scheme of things. But in terms of establishing something, making sure it was a good experience for those involved and something to build off of with potential, very, very satisfied. Well, it it's I think it's something that that. It's, it's such a valuable step forward, I believe, and, and something that, I, again, will be so helpful to these participants in terms of realities of life to help them. Look, it's, it's the, that age, everything is a learning experience. No doubt. You know, so let's, let's provide some assistance. As you said, the partnership with the NBA has, has to be invaluable, um, getting some people in here because uh, the young players will listen to the people who've been there yep. and who are there. Yeah, you know, no question. As you said, it's one thing for a high school coach or a college coach to say something, but here's the people who live that life, and it gives them an opportunity to to learn. So, um, I I think you know when I saw this happen, I thought this could be something special that's going to be developed here, and I'm yeah. I'm glad to see that it is it's on that path. Uh, well, and the last thing I'll say, just to build off of that before we close, is you know there's been a lot of focus on this came from the commission, the NBC. Mm-hmm. 
it, it, it's rooted in a couple of years ago's, you know, challenges with the FBI investigation and all that. But I look at it somewhat differently, frankly, now after just one summer. I see that this world of, you know, youth basketball and professional basketball changing so dramatically in the last few years and even more so in the future with the NBA and the Players Association likely changing the draft mm -hmm. eligibility rule within a couple of years, with the development of the G League now with 30, 30 teams and two-way contracts for G League players and NBA players. and Our whole basketball sphere has changed. More international players, 25% of the NBA is international players. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to be thinking forward and looking ahead and not backwards as it relates to development, an evaluation of young players and what their future may look like, whether it's in college or professionally, because just as we started this discussion, what happened, you know, decades ago when you and I were younger at Five Star and ABCD, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Something different now and something different will be in place three to five years and 10 years from now. So how do we evolve all of this for the good of college basketball and the good of the players that play the game? It has to be different than it's been in the past. Yeah. If we've learned nothing about this this world of, of athletics, it's the only constant is change. That's right. And we're going to see that. <laughs> uh, Dan Gavitt, our thanks always. Uh, we always get a chance to, to, to come away from these conversations knowing a lot more than we did beforehand. Dan, always good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Great you, you be well. That does it then for this edition of the College Sports Insider presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll look forward to talking with you again real soon. 